Welcome to another episode of Chan with the Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you can stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. And I'm your host, Max Chan. Before I get into the introduction for this week's episode, I want to remind all my listeners that I have created a new private Facebook group where I will be posting daily content on topics such as career advice and the job search. So if you are interested in joining, I will leave a link in the show notes for you to click on a checkout, or you can go on Facebook and type in my Facebook group name, Career Advice with Chant with a Plan. And as a thank you for joining, if you fill up my questionnaire as part of requesting access to join my Facebook group, I will send you my 30-minute job interview training to help you better prepare for your next job interview. One of the biggest lessons that I've learned when it comes to building my career is that you and you alone should take full responsibility and full ownership of your career growth. Yes, your managers and higher executives can do what they can to support you, but ultimately you have to take a proactive approach in order to grow the career that you want. The big issue with this is that a lot of professionals especially young professionals, do not have the proper roadmap and foundational pieces in order to set them up for success in order to grow their desired career. So to help me help my listeners who are currently struggling on how to grow their career, I have brought on Paul Goudreau, who is the author of the book, Own Your Career, No One Else Will, A Practical Life Cycle Approach to a Successful Career. The book contains 75 helpful tidbits that you can implement immediately in order to start seeing traction in your career growth. So a little bit about Paul, he is an experienced business leader as chairman of board, CEO, joint venture partner, and small business owner. He has led acquisitions, integration, and corporate functions. He has founded an international consulting alliance and two not-for-profit organizations. He has a keen ability to simplify complexity, create a strategic agenda, and align organizations to achieve shared ambitions. Now let's get into my discussion with Paul on how to take full ownership of your career in order to take it to the heights that you desire. Hey, Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah, like the book you wrote, Own Your Career, No One Else Will. I I think that's a great message in itself because people are expecting their boss to promote them. But what I've learned is that you have to actually ask for the promotion, ask for the raises in order to control your career. Like people aren't just going to give it to you. Uh, Would you agree with that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've heard from some of the readers that just says owning your career is a concept they never thought about. But you're exactly right. You know, in today's world, and today's workforce, you really need to be prepared to take your career, make it your own and drive it forward. So I think the uh, title's a little catchy, but it means a lot too, I think, to people. Can you elaborate more on that? Like they know about owning your career. They didn't understand that terminology. Well, I think like you were saying, a lot of people expect that their employer or their manager, someone within the organization will guide them through their career. And, you know, realistically, none of us have really had any training uh, in how to build a career. You know, it wasn't in any of my academics, you know, in college or in high school or elsewhere. 
and really, unless you had a mentor or someone you could rely on, maybe a family member or a friend or someone in the organization that would help you, you know, people are kind of on their own. And even more so in today's workforce, you know, there, there are folks that are getting multiple jobs, uh, side hustles, doing their own thing, really creating and, and developing their own career, one that they can, they can develop and balance their life and their career together. So I think it's just one of those concepts that you're not going to be taken care of in the workplace. You have to own it. You need to determine where you're going, set your aspiration and make your plan. I think a lot of recent grads, they end up getting that corporate job and then they work there for a few years and they feel stagnant. And then they think that the next move is to leave somewhere else, right? Or go somewhere else. But I think it's the lack of direction that they have. And they think they just have to make a move regardless of what it is, but it's not what they internally want. Is that, would that be a good assumption? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, in the book, I lay out a career life cycle. It's called ADAPT. It starts with acquire, then develop, and then apply, and then produce, and lastly, transition. What you're talking about is after acquire, let's say someone's gone through an apprenticeship, got a certification, gone to college, got a degree. After the acquire stage, you get into the workforce in your develop phase. And you know, you may not find the ideal job right away. I mean, the chances are, the likelihood is that you won't. You know, your first job, your second job, you'll still be experimenting with number one, are you in the right industry? Number two, are you in the right company? And number three, are you in the right role? And oftentimes, as a new career developer, you think about your role as the most important thing. You know, I am a project manager, or I am a sales and marketing rep, or I am a manager of a business. You know, that's important. Your role is ultimately important, but, you know, equally important, especially when you're in your early stages, is to be sure you're in the right industry. Are you in the medical field? Are you in the consulting field? Are you in the automotive field? What industry are you in? And does that bring you passion? And then secondly, are you in the right company? Does that company offer you opportunities beyond your current role? And then lastly, are you in the right role? So people often in their early career will make that step into another role or into another company without trying to align themselves with the industry, the company, and their role. So you know, I'm hoping is that, you know, in your develop phase of your life cycle, that first job out of college, that second or third job out of college, my book will give you some helpful hints. Um, and that will allow you to kind of frame up your longer term aspiration and ask yourself, am I in the right place or should I make a move? What are some common career challenges that you've witnessed or experienced talking to these professionals that they should have guidance on? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I think there are some common things and you know, I I'll list a couple, but I think one of the biggest challenges is to protect your time in looking at your career. You know, jobs today are very demanding. Employers uh, require a lot of you and you'll find yourself spending a lot of time just doing your job. Well, you need to protect some time to think about what your next job is. You know, what's your next career move. So I think protecting time is number one. I think number two is probably finding an advisory network. I call it an advisory network, but really a team of people that can help you throughout your career. Oftentimes we hear about coaches and mentors, and I think they're very important. You know, a coach is someone that can help you 
perform better in your current role. A mentor is someone who will be looking out ahead for other roles or other opportunities for you. But they're also family and friends that can encourage you, you know, during the course of your career. There are financial advisors that can help you develop a wealth plan and stay on a wealth plan. There are people, you know, in your inner circle that can be part of your advisory network. So I think it's protecting the time, developing your advisory network. And probably the last thing is really uh, investing in yourself. You know, you'll be investing in yourself, gaining new skills, getting certifications, going on for other degrees throughout the course of your career. And if you look at it, every penny you put into yourself, you're going to get that back in multiples. It makes it a little bit easier to make that investment in that night class or that additional certification or that test that you need to take to move into another category. You know, those, I think, are the three things I'd say are the most challenging, especially for young career developers. I think protecting your time is hard because a lot of these young professionals, they want to like please their boss or please upper management. So they'll say yes to everything or they'll attend all these meetings and then they feel overwhelmed and they feel stressed out. So how do you establish boundaries and have a balance? Because again, you, work should be a part of your life, not your life. So what are some recommendations you can provide for uh, these young professionals? Yeah, that's a great question as well. I have a uh... Uh, young adult children, and they're both in the career workforce. And, you know, I've I've seen this firsthand where, you know, you can get overwhelmed in your role pretty, pretty quickly. There's a couple ways I look at it. You know, when you're first starting a role, you're probably going to take six months just to sort out uh, what your primary accountabilities are and what your boss's primary accountabilities are. If you can get those two things sorted out in your first six months, you'll be doing very well. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of noise in organizations. And if you want to eliminate that noise, you really have to be focused on what are your accountabilities and what are your manager's accountabilities. Because ultimately, you'll be successful if you meet your and your manager's accountabilities or support you know, his or her accountabilities. So I think that's number one. You know, over a 12-month period of time, you should be really getting proficient in your role. You know, I think it takes 12 months to maybe 18 months for someone to really just get a handle on their role. Um, How can I do this most effectively? You know, how can I work with my manager to communicate most effectively? What does he or she need to know? What are the authorities I have to execute on my role and my primary accountabilities? So, you know, it does take time to build that relationship with your manager and be efficient and effective in your role. Then I would suggest at 18 months, you're probably ready for a new role or more assignments. If you look at it that way, you have the first six months in in solidifying and aligning your goals and objectives with your manager, the next six months to a year becoming very effective in your role. And after that, ask for more, whether it's a new assignment or maybe a new role. That's a good point you made about how it takes 12 to 18 months to master your job. But a lot of people tend to leave jobs a lot sooner than they used to back in the day, right? So people might leave jobs two to three years. So are people being more impatient with progressing in their career? And if they don't get a certain level of success in a role within a certain period of time, they want to leave. But you just said that it takes 12 to 18 months to master your role. So where's the balance between being patient and not jumping the gun too soon. Right. That's a, that's that's spot on. You know, I 
I feel that sometimes people are underemployed. You know, the employee could do more than what they're doing, but the manager doesn't recognize that. So sometimes people leave their jobs because they're underemployed, meaning that the organization or the manager really hasn't challenged them enough to be excited, you know, to gain passion, to be enthusiastic about the role, to feel like they're really contributing to the organization. So, you know, that's one thing that I think is on the company or on the manager. From the employee standpoint, you know, patience is a virtue, but in this world, business moves very fast. And so I don't really look negatively to people who are pushing the envelope, uh, who are looking for new opportunities and looking for new challenges. Now, if you leave a job for a completely different job and you haven't really fulfilled your obligations under your current role, you know, that's not really great. It's not a good move to move to something because, you know, you think something else will be better. I mean, I had a a conversation this past weekend with a colleague of mine whose friend has been, it's been very difficult for her to stay in a job. And generally the reasons she leaves is because she blames somebody for not doing something for her, meaning they're not training her. They're not giving her challenges. They're not, uh, it wasn't the job she expected, you know, but this is a repeating pattern for her. That's not healthy. But I don't blame people for after six months saying, okay, I'm underemployed. Company or manager, can you do more with me? Are there more challenges here in the organization that I can take on? If so, stay where you are, take on those challenges and succeed. If not, you know, look for another role, another opportunity. When it comes to getting more responsibilities, a suggestion that I've heard is working at smaller businesses they tend to let you wear many hats compared to a larger company where you have this specific portfolio and you tend to have to manage that throughout your tenure there unless you move to a different role. Yeah, that's a very good idea. I mean, again, if you look at a career life cycle, uh, acquire, develop, apply, apply is a third life cycle where third step in the life cycle. This is a place where you want to wear many hats when you're early in your career And as you move forward, you tend to focus on those roles, those opportunities that are more consistent with one, your skill sets, and two, your life work balance. So I think small companies in general are good for anybody. But I think as far as career development, you do find a place in your career where you say, you know, I've been wearing a lot of hats. The experience is really good. But what I'm really good at is X. And I want to find a company or a role that provides me X. I'm really good at sales and marketing. Uh, I'm not good at administrative trivia. I want to be an entrepreneur. You know, I'm really good at thinking about the next idea. I'm not really good at managing today's work. So you do find yourself at some point after you have numerous assignments and opportunities, kind of focusing in on where you think you can be most productive and where you think you can drive your career. And with something I want to add to the previous question is, you know, your career is going to be 40 years from start to finish, right? At least. And so you have a lot of time to experiment, but you also reach a point, you know, probably in your late 40s, early 50s, where you should be in a role and in a position with a company and an industry that you feel like you can contribute and meet your career aspiration. 
that's a good point. And to add to what you were saying, would you think the suggestion for a recent grad, a young professional, is to go to a smaller business or a business that can give you uh, many responsibilities and you can wear many hats. And then at that point, you can find your zone of strength, so to speak, and then go into another company where you're specifically focused on that and then build your skills and expertise over time for that specific skill. Generally, I'd say yes. I would say that, you know, as you're coming out of your uh, initial acquire phase, maybe a, a graduate degree or undergraduate degree or an apprenticeship or certification, you know, you just want to get into the workforce. You want to get into a place that you like working at. Uh, the role is really, I hate to say it, but probably secondary. You want to be with a group of people that are compatible with the way you think, the culture that you like to work in, and gives you opportunities to perform and can support you. So I think those initial jobs, if you will, again, they may not be your career job, but experimenting in your develop stage and your apply stage of your life cycle is spot on. And you'll start narrowing your aspiration uh, as you move forward in your career. Your aspiration will probably start very broad. You know, it's it's things that you are very passionate about. Uh, I was passionate about the environment. You know, I wanted to do good for the environment. Some people are very passionate about education or taking care of people, healthcare, you know, initially you're just following your passion. And I think as you develop your career, you start finding, okay, well, what's that mean? How can I translate that passion into a destination and into a career that will allow me to build a life, you know, that I want to have over time? So starting a small company or starting with numerous assignments, starting with a job that's not ideal, it's all about starting something. You guys are somewhere. The more things you do, the more doors will open for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. But with that, you know, you have to, you can bounce around for a while, you know, 10 years, you could probably bounce around taking numerous assignments, uh, different companies. But at some point, again, I think you have to narrow your aspiration, pick your destination, build your path, you know, seize the moment and satisfy your long-term career aspiration. As you mentioned, a career is 40 years, but people are rushing to, oh, I need to get director in three years once I leave university. But again, you are able to take your time and be patient and find out what you want. Because if you're trying to climb a ladder, you're not 100% sure about, but you are being influenced by other people that you have to get to this certain stage faster, you won't be fulfilled, right? Right. Yeah. I'd make another point in the book, and it's about, you know, your career aspirations are uniquely yours. You can listen to people, take advice, of course. You know, look at others, boy, you know, he or she's doing a great job. You know, maybe I could pursue a career path like theirs. But the bottom line is your career aspiration is yours. You own it. And furthermore, you'll be the only one that knows when you fulfill it. You know, you can get a lot of accolades and rewards and recognition along the way. But at some point in your life, you're going to say, you know, did I have a career well lived? And hopefully, you know, you're the only one that can answer that question. So there is a lot of pressure today to excel, to, you know, advance your career. It's up to you to create it. It's uniquely yours. And to add to that, having a good network can help you elevate your game to get to that level that you want, which is what you talk about as one of the main cornerstones of career development is developing your advisory network. So how can one build up that network? I, I know from a work culture perspective, as you're going to be spending a good majority of your week with these colleagues and coworkers, that 
there's a good chance that these people will be heavily uh, influence you in your life. But what are some other uh, ways to build up your network outside of the work environment? Yeah. Well, you know, I think initially your network are your family and friends. You know, when you first start your career, you know, it's your family and friends. You look to your friends for condolences, maybe sometimes, or support. You're probably going through the similar challenges in your career together. So you're really supportive of each other. You know, your family obviously is is key to guiding you. Generally, your family, your parents, you know, your siblings have expectations of you in your career. You know, you can take that all in. I think once you, you know, get into the workplace, those are still very important, your family and friends. But I think you start developing both internal and external mentors. I think internally, you ask for a mentor. As a career professional, I know throughout my career, I asked for a mentor. And that was someone in the organization that you admired. You know, it wasn't really rocket science. It wasn't your manager, however, because your manager has a vested interest in keeping you in your role effective because you're helping him or her meet their accountabilities. In an organization, ask for a mentor, someone that's outside other than your manager, and uh, develop a relationship with them. Equally important, outside. And I found my outside mentors to be my clients. You know, I would have in the consulting environment, the people I worked with were obviously very important to me outside the organization. So again, I formally asked some of my clients to be my mentor. You know, they knew who I was. They knew I was a young professional. They tended to be older than me and they wanted to help me. So I think you need internal and external mentors, as well as as you start building your your life, you know, your house, your your partner, you know, if you have kids, choose to have kids or not, you know, you need to have a financial advisor, someone who can help you with that. And obviously, as you grow your wealth, you know, it's it's helpful to have estate plans and attorneys and other people. But, you know, you surround yourself with a team of people that can help you. Uh, throughout your career. And each life cycle, you know, requires a slightly different team to get to where you want to be. Going back to finding mentors in your organization, if you're an individual contributor or a first level manager, you might not get as much exposure to the VPs or C-suites, especially at a larger organization. So how can you reach out to these quote unquote untouchable uh, professionals uh, in that organization? Well, many companies now have internal mentor-mentee programs, right? So I would say first look to see if your company has a formal uh, mentee-mentor program. If they don't, then I think, you know, take six months to a year to look look around the organization. And, you know, an informal mentorship is probably the best way to do it. I find that these designated programs tend to be a little, I don't know, they, they don't, they're not as effective, I don't think, as if you were to reach out to someone directly and uh, become a mentor. But to answer your question, you find somebody, you find a couple of people, you go to their events, you know, if they're presenting or if there's a town hall or if, you know, they are in the office, you know, you stop by and introduce yourself. You find out more about their role. And at some point you just ask them, you know, can you be my mentor? I've been watching you. I've been looking at what you're doing. I really respect uh, what you've done, and I need a little help. Would you mind spending 
you know, an hour a month with me to learn the organization, because that's probably what that person can help you with the most is to learn the organization, the culture, and how to be successful in the organization. There will be a fact in terms of getting intimidated by these people, right? So if you're a recent grad or a young professional with a few years under your belt, and there's this CMO that's been there for a while, you might feel that sort of intimidation to reach out. What's your advice on that? Well, I'd just say start a level down. You know, start at whatever level you're comfortable with. I mean, if you're an entry-level person and you're in a mid-sized company, there's going to be four levels before you get to the chief financial officer or CEO. Just go, you know, the level above your manager or one of your manager's peers. You know, ask your manager, hey, you know, I really like to have a mentor. Is there someone you can advise? And that person will probably be most comfortable advising one of their peers. So you're a level up. Ideally, you have a mentor that's two levels above you, so above your manager. That's ideally because with mentors, and as you get further up the organization, people at higher levels see a bigger, broader company than what you do. So if you're talking to the CEO, you know their assignment is to build shareholder value over the next you know, five to 10 years. So they're looking out across the markets, across the company, and they know what the company can bring to people like yourself. So getting as high up as you can is great, but if you're not comfortable going all the way to the top, just get to the level of your manager or one step above him or her. That's some good advice. And the last point you touched on was investing in yourself. So I'm, I'm guilty of this too, and I think a lot of professionals are. A, a lot of these organizations, these companies do have free online educational resources that they pay for. For example, uh, LinkedIn Learning. I think Linda was one back in the day. I think LinkedIn actually acquired Linda. And then there's like free Audible eBooks that you can listen to that's all paid for from the company. However, I don't think a lot of people actually take advantage of those types of free programs. And the other issue is for me, writing a lot of resumes for people, the last education that they would have is the standard degrees, whether it's a bachelor's or master's. And then at that point, there's no additional certifications or courses that they've taken. So why is there that issue where people stop at a certain point when it comes to learning new things? It's just hard. You know, it's just hard to balance the extra time that you have. Uh, away from your family and friends and put more into your career. Those type of learnings, I think, are obviously very important for skill development, you know, how to do things in your job better. Uh, I would suggest as you get further in your career, you know, it's about developing your network, investing in your professional network. And I think the big the big leap comes when you're joining industry groups, you know, trade groups or industry groups where you're participating in subcommittees of uh, those trade groups or industry groups, where you're maybe a registered professional of some sort, and you're taking on roles within that group to advance the professional status of of that group. So investing yourself comes in direct education, skill development, but it also comes when you get further in your career in developing your professional network outside of your work. And, you know, I think that is very valuable because you will, those people you meet in your industry will be lifetime friends and colleagues and they'll support you. Um, you know, they'll, they'll be competitive with you, but they'll support you. And so I would say, think about investing not only in your skill development, but your network development. 
to add to that point, so let's say I'm working with this team in this organization, I end up leaving or someone on the team leaves. There tends to be a period where you would keep in touch for a little bit and then you drift apart. So how do you stay connected with these people? Because like if you built if you work with these people in the trenches for a few years, it doesn't make sense to just stop talking to them. But I know people get busy and it's also about proximity, right? Because when you're working in the same building, in the same area, you, you obviously talk to each other every day. But once they go to a different company, yeah, you'll still try to keep in contact. But as you are aware, people get busy and then they lose touch. But how do you maintain that connection? Well, I think, you know, what I've done, and I don't know if this is the right way, but, you know, whenever I've left uh, a role, even not just a company, you know, I've listed five or six people I want to stay in contact with because I feel like they're part of my long-term uh, social capital. I mean, look at it as a stock portfolio if you'd like. But, you know, you build social capital throughout your career. And some of that is based on the, your network. You know, the last thing I want from those five people in that previous role or that previous company to say is, you know, Paul just isn't a very good uh, employee. I mean, what I want them to say is Paul's one of the best people I've worked with. And, you know, he's what he's doing now is great. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Let me share a story that I had about Paul when I worked with him. You know, that's the feedback you want to get from your colleagues when you leave. And so just simple, write down five or six names, five names of people that you want to stay in contact with. This weekend, I was in, in Minneapolis visiting uh, my kids and uh the chairman of the board who hired me to be the CEO of a company that I left 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, um, I wrote his name down. I wanted to maintain a relationship with them. And this past week, uh, my wife and his wife and he, uh, we had uh, some beverages and talked about the good old days. So it's real important to keep those relationships, but uh, consider a small group and an influential group to maintain as your network. And the last point I want to touch upon here is, yes, focusing on growing your career is important, but you also want to have a lifestyle outside of work. So what are some advice that you can provide people that are trying to balance their career and life, though the uh, work-life balance that a lot of people are seeking? Yeah. You know, that's, that's actually, I mean, obviously a great question. I can't say I have that figured out. My view of a career is that, you know, you have a career so that you can live the life you want to live. What that means is, you know, a career can fulfill you personally, professionally, economically. And those things should help you have a life that you like, you know, that you have also uh, wanted that you've aspired to. You know, I look at young professionals who might be stuck in their career right now. It, you know, maybe they're making okay money, but they don't know exactly what they want to do. And that's reflective in their life. You know, they tend to be status quo, not seeking adventure or opportunities. You know, they're in the same relationships with people they've been in. They haven't traveled. They haven't done some things that maybe they're postponing because they're not sure about their career. I think if you have a career that's fulfilling, then it gives you an opportunity to have a life that's fulfilling. Now, how everybody balances that is different, but 
I think they go hand in hand. I, I think that having a fulfilled career can help you have a fulfilled life as well. So it's not one or the other. If you can have a fulfilling career, you'll also have a fulfilling life in the process. Well, not necessarily, right? Um, it, you know, careers can be all consuming. And sometimes people take uh, 100% of their satisfaction from having a career that's perceived as successful. You know, if you choose that path, then, you know, your life won't be very fulfilling. But if you choose a path that says, you know, I'm going to have a life and a career that I feel fulfilled with, and my career is going to support my life, then I think there's a high probability you'll be successful at both. If you take a path that says, you know, my career is my life, (laughs) that's probably what it will be. So I think, again, uh, not automatically, but I think if you have a successful career, it will certainly help you have a more fulfilling life. That's a great words of wisdom, Paul. I'm going to move our conversation to the next phase, which is talking about your ADAPT career lifecycle model and how you can use that to develop your career plan. So let's talk about a case study or scenario. So I'm a professional. I've been out of school for a few years now, so I have some work experience under my belt. Uh, I might be a first level manager. So this is my first time managing uh, people under me. What would I need to do to develop a three to five year career plan that will be fulfilling and rewarding and meets my goals? Yeah. So I think the first thing is, regardless of where you are on the career life cycle, is to check your aspiration. And and what is your career aspiration? You know, this is this is probably the most difficult thing. But I, what I can tell you about a career aspiration is, one, it will change with time, and that's perfectly fine. And secondly, it should provide a destination for you. And you should write it down, and you should check it frequently. Uh, you know, no less than every year. So career aspiration. Again, we talked about this, but initially it starts with your passion. What is your passion? What is it that really gets you excited uh, about your life? You know, regardless of what career it might be, what gets you excited? Secondly, you'll narrow that down when you get your first job. You know, for me, it was, like I said, environmental um, diligence and working in the environmental field. My first job was you know, in the field collecting samples, you know, I said, you know, I probably can't do this forever. It's cold out here and I'm, I think I'm going to need to do something different. So, you know, I knew at that point I wasn't going to be just collecting samples in the field. I was probably going to aspire to be a manager or a technical expert. And from that, I said, okay, let's sharpen this focus. Let's find a career path, either technical or managerial that will help me achieve that. So that included going on for further education, getting a certification, going for a mini MBA, you know, getting other skills that I felt I needed to be a manager. So that led me in that direction. And then, you know, once I found myself the role in the company that I wanted, I really had to seize the moment. I knew that there was an opportunity for me to become a CEO, a vice president, a CEO, a founder of companies. And I really had to seize the moment. And then I transitioned into what I'm doing now. So your aspiration changes with time. But if you're a person who's coming out of school or maybe you have a job and you're managing a team, you know, there there are quite a few things and there's some tidbits in my book, but you know, if you're managing people, uh, you need to be number one, a good manager. <laughs> that seems self-explanatory, but 
you know, throughout your career, you'll see people that are very good managers and people that aren't very good managers. For you, you need to determine whether you're a good manager and if that is the aspiration you want to be. Do you want to manage people in your career? And if you do, then that's part of your plan. The second thing is you need to know how to build a team. You need to know how to get the most out of your team members. And, you know, a lot of that is in being sure the roles are clear, that you're supporting the people with the right resources they need to get their job done, and developing your communication skills. And so that becomes part of your plan. You know, you might decide that as a manager, you know, you really want to be more of a business manager, not just a people's manager. You want to manage a P&L or you want to manage a, a business from a financial standpoint. That's part of your plan. So I think what you do is whatever role you're in, you have to ask yourself, is this the role that I want? Am I good at it? What am I not good at? And what's the next role I want to have? And fill that gap with skills and knowledge and surround yourself with a good team of mentors and coaches. Going back to the discussion of like individual contributor and manager, people assume that in order to get to a certain level, you have to eventually manage people. Will you find that to be true? I would say there are more opportunities for your career if you're managing people. I think there are uh, career paths that don't require you to manage people. Uh, technical experts, you know, senior consultants, folks that, you know, they need teams, but only uh, for projects. They don't need to manage people. They just need to lead teams to execute on certain projects. So, uh, you know, if I look at an organization, likely there'll be fewer individual contributors at high levels than there are managers of people, right? If you look at the C-suite, you know, everybody in the C-suite uh, will have somebody they're managing. There are very few individual contributors at that level. So I think it depends what industry, it depends what company. I think managing people in either a formal way, you know, an HR way, or in a team way is very important. You said before whether you actually want to be a good manager. So what are some traits of a good manager and a bad manager? Yeah. Well, I think... For good managers, there's probably a few things I can think about, but you know, a good manager is clear about what their expectations are and they're reasonable. So if you're sitting down with your team or your direct employee and they have questions about what their accountabilities are, you need to clarify that with them. Secondly, you need to provide them the support, the resources, you know, whether it's people or money or, or tools to execute on their accountabilities. And I think thirdly, they're good communicators. You know, they'll keep you apprised of what's going on in the organization. They'll coach you on how to behave in the organization. You know, they'll communicate with you on any changes that might be coming in the organization. So I, I think it's role clarity, role support, and transparent communications with your employees. Great. And you also talked about how like rarely do titles and money define your career success, but everybody still focuses on that, especially people who are younger. So how can one break away from that mindset where it's not just the title and the money is about career fulfillment and actually enjoying what you do? Yeah. Well, I often talk to people about, think about what you want to accomplish in the next 10 years. You know, what is it that, you know, you want to get out of your career? And 
when you when you put it in that context, you know, I think you know, I tell a story in my book about someone who, you know, she told me, you know, Paul, I've always I always wanted to be a CEO. She was uh, in her retirement years, her transition years. She says, I always wanted to be CEO, and I found out that I didn't want to be CEO. I was CEO for a period of time, and I liked it, but it wasn't about being CEO. It was about recognition from my peers uh, in the industry that she worked in. It was about being fairly compensated you know, for her contributions to the firm. Uh, it was about growing her professional network and being a peer with professionals that she liked to work with. And lastly, it was about, you know, contributing to an organization and seeing an organization be successful. So she said, you know, I could, I did all that when I was CEO, but I've also done all that when I wasn't CEO. So the title for her, in retrospect, uh, wasn't as important as what she wanted to achieve during her career. That was recognition in her industry and her peer group a great peer group that she could work with and have fun with, be fairly compensated for her efforts, and to be a major contributor in the organization that she loved to work for. And you said that everyone begins their journey from different starting points. So if someone's listening right now and they are currently at a crossroads in their career, what is the first thing that you want them to do to get alignment in order to define their career aspiration and what they want to do for the next uh, few years and beyond? Yeah. Well, I call that uh, as the undiscovered. So I have six categories, the apprentice, the adventurer, the traditionalist, the entrepreneur, the reinventor, and the undiscovered. And the reason I call it undiscovered is, again, I had a 20-something person who approached me and said, you know, Paul, I've tried a lot of things, but I'm just not happy. You know, I'm just not happy with what I, what I do. She had a role that, she, you know, paid her well. But she realized it wasn't in an industry that she wanted, and it wasn't part of her long-term career. And so what I advised her was, what do you get passionate about? And her response was helping young people and helping young people in supporting them throughout the court systems. So helping them, you know, from when they're juveniles and, and, and younger folks, helping them if they're in problems or in uh, criminal justice program, you know, how can she help? And so this was a complete change from where she was uh, and where she is today. And I said, well, how's that translate to a career? How can you help young, you know, challenge uh, colleagues or friends? And she is now pursuing, you know, a law degree through potentially county court system. So I think you have to just step back. And the fortunate part about this where you begin undiscovered is you know what you don't want to do. So you've experimented, you've tried, you really have to write down those things that you didn't feel valuable and, you know, put those aside and say, okay, from now starting forward, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something I seek passion around. It probably will require, and I know it will in this case, a step down in pay. It will require her to invest in herself, you know, getting a law degree is expensive. So there are a lot of roadblocks or obstacles to change your career path. She's early 30s. But, you know, you can't work another 30 years unhappy. It just doesn't do well for yourself. So step back, reassess your aspiration, a look at what investments you need to make, 
and look at your career path over the next five years. I think the misconception for a lot of people in their 20s is that they're rushing to try to figure out what they want. But I think from, from my experience now, it's not about trying to find what you want in your 20s. It's about experimenting and finding out all the stuff that you don't want. So then when you're in your 30s, you figure out what you do want and then you focus on that. Yeah, a process of elimination, right? Yeah, exactly. And your book says that you provide 75 helpful tidbits in your book. What was one of the tidbits that really helped you in your career? Well, I think, you know, there are a lot of them, but I think these all were very important to me. It depends on where you are in your career. You know, for instance, I think one one tidbit is managers matter and managers do matter. And I look at my career, you know, I've had some really good managers and some not really good managers. And I've learned a lot from both the good and the bad. But when you look at your career, again, your industry, your organization and your role you know, if you're looking at a role and you're trying to make a decision on which role to select or pick, you know, the role is super important, but that manager is equally important. And so find yourself a role in a company and in an industry with a manager that cares. And if you do that consistently, you know, you'll be in good shape. There's that saying, don't interview for the company, interview for the manager, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you can make the selection, <laughs> you know, select the better manager out of the two. Yeah. And then like you learn from good and bad managers, right? The good managers is what you want to become. And the bad managers is what you don't want to become when you, when you want to become a manager. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to end this uh, episode with you with uh, one last question. So my podcast is about helping professionals overcome career challenges. And you have provided a lot of good insights on how my listeners can overcome their career challenges. But for you, throughout your career, what was one of the biggest roadblocks? Well, let, let me take a step back. What, in terms of writing this book, what was the biggest roadblock that you had to overcome in order to write this book? Because writing a book is a labor of love. It, it takes time to write all the pages and do the editing. So what was the, one of the biggest roadblocks that you faced in writing this book? And what did you do to overcome it to help you uh, publish this book and put it out to market? Well, you know, I think what really uh, motivated me was, you know, the roadblock was really just making the time. I was working full time at, at that time. What motivated me was uh, seeing young professionals, you know, my, my children included. But, you know, working with young professionals in the workforce, I really felt like there was a need for some tidbits, you know, some things that could help people advance their career. And, you know, the book is an academic. It, there isn't a lot of theory and research in this. It's really about those lessons that I've learned throughout my career or I've seen my colleagues learn throughout my career that can help people just push a little bit farther, you know, just take that next step. And when I landed on the ADAPT lifecycle model, uh, it really started to focus my clarity in the way I thought about career development. So my motivation was really to help young people, uh, young professionals. Uh, driving their careers forward. And that's all I needed, you know, at the time was to to feel like I could add value to their lives. How did you create the ADAPT model? Like how, how did that come about? Well, actually, the uh, ADAPT came along first, just the name, because, you know, you do have to be adaptive in your career, right? You're going to have some challenges and opportunities. You're going to have some successes. You're going to have some failures. And you're going to have to adapt throughout the course of your your career. And when I found that word that I felt described, you know, overall 
the uh, the way that your career you have to be available to adapt in your career. I then used the the letters uh, for my life cycle stages, and then I coalesced my tidbits around those life cycle stages to help people kind of you know think about the tidbits in certain life cycles of their career. So uh, the name came first, the model came second, and the tidbits came third. As you said before uh, in this episode, just take it one step at a time, right? Yep, exactly. And and what I like about the DAP model is that if you read the book, and I've tested this with uh, a core group of friends of my of my kids, actually, um, I gave them copies of my book and I said, what life cycle stage are you in? And they immediately told me, they said, I'm in the develop life cycle stage. Well, why do you think that? Well, because this is my first, second job. You know, I'm not certain it's my career op- my career job. I'm learning to work with teams, et cetera. So they, they read off to me the exact characteristics that they were in their life cycle. And so by reading the book, what I'm hoping is that, you know, it helps you define an aspiration. Then number two, it says, okay, I'm here in this life cycle stage. Here's some tidbits and here's my plan to get to the next stage. Great. Again, I really appreciate you spending some time with us to discuss the ADAPT model and your book and all the career lessons that you have learned in your career and to provide advice for my listeners. So how can people either connect with you or buy the book? Yeah, well, you can buy the book on Amazon. So if you type in own your career, no one else will, you can buy it on Amazon. And then secondly, I have a website and you can reach me through my website. It's enorinpartners.com, E-N-O-R-I-N-E partners.com. And you can either contact me through there or you can use my email, which is paul.goudreau at enormpartners.com. Great. And what's next for you for uh, this book? Or are you making? Are you going to create another book? Or what, what's, I actually, uh, what's the I do plan? have two more books in store. One is uh, owning your effectiveness, and uh, you know we talked about the noise in organizations. I hope that I can help people kind of eliminate the noise. And then the third one is on own your business, uh, because I think a lot of people. Uh, are very capable of owning and operating their own business with a little bit of help. You should call it the own series, own your career, own your business. Yep. Well, it's called own your success series. So I, I still have some work to do. I, I, uh, thanks for the reminder. I got to get another book out. Sounds good. Okay. Again, really appreciate the time, Paul, and uh, best of luck in uh, getting those books ready for uh, publishing. Thanks, Max. Take care of yourself. Thank you again to Paul for coming on my podcast and sharing his insights and helpful tidbits on how you can take ownership of your career in order to grow it to the heights that you desire. If you want to hear my own personal insights about this topic, make sure to check out ChanCap this upcoming Friday, available on all popular podcast platforms. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Again, as a quick reminder, make sure to check out my new Facebook group where I post daily content on careers, and the job search. The link to the group is in the show notes, or you can type my group name on Facebook, Career Advice with Chan with a Plan. As a thank you for joining my group, I will send you a free 30-minute job interview training video to help you prepare effectively for your next interview. Again, this is Chan with a Plan, the podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan, and I thank you for listening.